Welcome to FRT episode 92. I'm Brad Carr of the IIF, and today we're going to look at the latest report in our Realising the Digital Promise series, where we've looked at the challenges, success factors, and external ecosystem influences on digital transformation in the financial services industry. I'm joined by my colleague Conan French, and also by two of our Deloitte partners in this venture, Michael Tang, partner and head of global digital transformation for financial services, and Malti Borgenhagen, business strategy and innovation leader. This new IIF Deloitte report is entitled Transformation in an Ecosystem of Regulators, Big Tech, FinTech and More. And we're going to discuss the findings of this report in a few parts. Firstly, Conan and I are going to set the scene on our series and the approach we've taken with this report. Conan will then speak further with Michael and Malti, stepping through some of the key findings in more detail. And then Conan and I will conclude by drawing together a few threads in what we see as some of the key takeaways in this report. Firstly, Conan, to get us started, could you give our listeners a quick snapshot of the approach and the extensive engagement that we've had with innovation leaders in preparing this report? Well, what was really important in this report was that we hear directly and share with our readers um, the view from the people who are leading digital transformation of financial services at the banks, insurers, technology firms, cloud service providers, and also from the public sector leaders at regulators and supervisors who are working through these issues day in, day out. So we made sure that we were uh, reaching them in interviews, virtual roundtables, discussions at IF forums and events. And I think we've uh, managed to, to reach more than 200 people and gather their uh, views throughout this series and, and in this, our third uh, report in the series. And so that first-person view, I think, is something that hopefully really shines through in the report. There are a number of great quotes in the report, both some unattributed ones from our focus groups and interviews, also a few from some of the public discussions, as you mentioned. I do want to talk about the exchange that we had in some focus groups about cloud, respectively amongst banks and amongst regulators, but I'm going to hold that thought until after you speak with, with Michael and Malti. But one other quote that I really liked was from an executive at one of the national central banks in Europe, and he commented, many banks still have legacy issues board members with four-year mandates who won't touch the legacy in that time. And on the other hand, we have Google who say that they refactor all their code every three years, which is incomprehensible for most of the major and older banks. This presents a real challenge for us regulators to keep up with. It's a really insightful thought. And, and I think it, it really encapsulates quite a number of the, the really key issues that we've found through this report. I think it firstly highlights the enormity of the challenge for the banks, trying to keep pace with technological change and the advancements being made by firms that are potential competitors and or potential partners. In that, I think it alludes to the need for partnerships with technology specialists. It also shows the scale of the challenge for regulators, both in the immediate upskilling, but also in the need to, I guess, have an adaptive culture going forward, keeping pace. And, and bringing that together, I think it really gets to the heart of where regulatory and ecosystem-wide collaboration really needs to go. It, it, we need to have more multilateral collaboration, embracing the financial institutions, embracing their technology partners and the regulators all together. Whereas some of those dialogues historically have probably been a bit more bilaterally focused or, or sometimes at an arm's length. Conan, I was wondering if I could invite your reaction on, on that or, or how that, that great quote, I think, sticks with the overall themes of the report. Yeah, I think that quote that you just shared really brings forward some of the complexities that we saw as the partnerships are evolving, the ecosystem is evolving. And there was also you know, another quote that stood out. Ate Lakhtantra, who's the chief technology officer at Goldman Sachs, had shared um, some of his views on their partnerships when he said, uh, what has really worked for Goldman is the fact that they're active as a partner. 
and one of their driving tenants is to look outside first. We don't want to build everything ourselves. We definitely want to see more of the culture of innovation and how to enable that. And we also want to participate and give back to the fintech ecosystem through open sourcing. So I think you know your quote really shared some of the complexity that we heard of this new landscape. And I think that Ate's uh, quote really shares some of the centrality that these partnerships are taking uh, for the future of financial service firms. Ate, of course, is a, a tremendous leader in the sector. His background, uh, I think it was at Nokia before being at uh, Verizon and then at Goldman Sachs. I was really privileged to speak with him at the Singapore FinTech Festival last year, and I do hope that we can get him on FRT uh, sometime soon also. But for today, Conan, well, I'll let you take it away now as you discuss further with our partners and good friends at Deloitte, Michael Tang and Multi Borgenhagen. Michael, I think one of the uh, key themes that we heard was financial institutions looking to succeed in the digital economy and that there were some foundational building blocks and capabilities that they really needed to have in place to do that technology and, and culture. What were some of them that uh, really stood out for you? Yeah, you know, I think we spoke to over 150 different individuals, but three of the more common highlighted uh, core building blocks were number one, digital identity. Secondly, advanced analytics, AI, machine learning. And third, that underpinned all and came out almost every conversation was cloud. And when you take a look at the building block of digital identity, it's really um, one big, big use case area is financial inclusion. Think about the number of individuals that are actually unbanked. This would not only solve a lot of those solutions, but set us up for a whole new, I'll say, area of applications and, and use cases. But on the flip side, digital identity is also used to protect. So there was a quote from one individual where if banks wanted to maintain the customer relationship, they must maintain the login. So in terms of digital identity, it's one of the fundamental building blocks to authenticate users. The second one is quite obvious around advanced analytics. Although there was a lot of dialogue, we don't wanna forget that data drives and trains a lot of the analytics as well as AI. And we're moving from a consumer perspective from what I call show, help, and do. Most of the data right now, of course, you have dashboards of what the snapshot of information is. We're getting more into the advice area to help me through some insights. But I think with the technology today as one of the core building blocks, it's gonna be autonomous, almost self-driving finance to actually do it for the individuals. And that will be driven from AI, machine learning, and advanced analytics. And then lastly, the third core, core building block is cloud. It underpins all of that, whether it provides compute, scale, data. And if you double click on the report, there's an entire section around our thoughts on that. Yeah, and I think on the, the cloud piece, that was clearly the, the major driver. But as you said, digital identity is one of those pieces that um, the more we looked at it, the more we talked to people, and this has been a big theme at the IF as well, uh, the more we realized that this will really drive a lot of the future roles, responsibilities, and experiences in the future of finance. And financial inclusion was something else that I think could really be driven by digital identity. And Malti, I was wondering if you could you know, share some of what we heard um, on the, the capabilities that digital identity could enable. Of course, Conan. I, you know, I, I think it was really interesting to, get, to hear as the the conversation actually, you know, more often than I, I thought, um, ventured into financial inclusion and how in particularly you know, in, in places such as Latin America or, or in Asia, there's a huge opportunity to bring, you know, more than 500 million or even a billion people into the formal economy that currently do not have 
bank accounts. And as, as um, you know, executives were talking about it, of course, once you start bringing these people into the formal economy, there's also a whole business case behind it for, for a string of services that are being unlocked and can really be um, introduced to, uh, to the broader audience. And in addition to the technology capabilities that we've um, just been talking through, uh, partnerships were the other, I think, main enabler that uh, we heard over and over again as being essential for digital transformation of the industry and driving some of that uh, broader reach and impact um, that Malti was just talking about. Malti, I was wondering if you could give us a little more flavor on what we'd heard about the partnerships and the financial service ecosystem. What are the trends? Uh, what's changing and how are partnerships driving some of this digital transformation? Yeah, it's been actually really interesting to, to listen to the, the executives and, and, and participants talk about how partnerships are evolving and how their view on partnership has evolved. You know, when, the, uh, when fintech started to increasingly come on the radar, um, you know, uh, four, ten years ago, there was clearly an, an initial reaction where um, they, they were eyed with a bit of concern, right? Okay, where are they where they're going? Regulation for them is you know, potentially slightly different. Regulators are very accommodating to drive innovation. But really what, um, what has played out over the last few years, and I think at the moment we're seeing that growing exponentially, is actually um, how the collaboration, so you know, incumbent banks and insurers working with these fintech is really driving value in the industry. So the conversation has really shifted from, hey, we, we see a threat here towards, you know, the, the value we create together is actually really, really additive for our business. And I think a lot of the participants will probably say that they couldn't imagine working without fintechs today um, as they go to market. And Michael, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, cloud was one of the overwhelming um, building blocks that we'd really heard over and over again in the conversation. And I was wondering if you might share some thoughts on the, the difference in the partnership models between fintechs that has uh, been going on for a little while, you know, the old traditional third-party uh, technology vendors and cloud service providers. You know, what's different in these partnership trends? Yeah, I think riffing off of the term building blocks and platforms, think of the cloud service provider as that big Lego piece where you start building and whether they're fintechs or different capabilities as the actual blocks. And I think one of the main drivers moving forward because of the interoperability, APIs, much more open thinking, organizations and financial services, their products and services will likely be assembled versus just built on the hypothesis that your organization might not actually have the best capability or capacity. And what we're finding is there is a shift from fintech transformation to big tech transformation because some of these hyperscalers not only have the capacity and capability, they also are bringing in other aspects than just technology building blocks. And it's been proven that they can bring in innovation culture and much more of a transformation than just the technology. The example I would cite is the recent Deutsche Bank announcement with the hyperscaler last June. And we're already seeing that applicants around the engineering and technology type of capabilities are moving towards Deutsche Bank simply because of that announcement with big tech hyperscaler. And that brings up a, a really good point of regulators trying to adapt to this changing partnership model. And this is really very different, I think, from some of the old third party uh, technology vendor models that had existed traditionally. And I was wondering, Malte, how you saw um, the regulators catching up. What was the collaboration between regulators and tech firms 
uh, along with financials? How do these three entities come together and, and sort of work together? What, what are we hearing is, is uh, succeeding to try and drive this different ecosystem model forward? So I think it was really great to hear through our conversations that you know, participants from you know, all parties really agree that collaboration is needed. I think there's a general acknowledgement that today regulation is not always perfect. You know, there are places where it's more advanced. There are places maybe where it's a bit more lagging. But um, I think the mindset is there that everyone feels it, it is not, you know, the regulators or the, or the banks or the insurers own um, to solve for. It, it can only be solved for by, by a, a broad collaboration and, and really moving along in terms of, you know, how do we, at the pace of innovation that we see today, can write effective regulation that is not, you know, more static and maybe thinking of prudential regulation, right, where the risk that, that accrues is not quite as rapidly changing as it does with uh, on the innovation side. How do we regulate an industry um, and, and do that collaboratively? Yeah, the question of how to regulate uh, that industry and also how to understand the technology and the new models that's, uh, that are emerging, I think, was something that we heard frequently. And that question of engagement uh, and direct engagement with technology experts and making sure that you're connecting the right folks up uh, emerged as essential. In addition to that question of you know how do you adapt to these new models, Michael, I was wondering if you might share some comments. You know, activity-based versus entity-based regulation has been a big question um, for a long time and has ebbed and flowed with some recent developments. And what are some of the things that uh, stood out for you in in not just what are the models for greater collaboration, but how do regulators deal with appropriate supervision and oversight of these new partners in the ecosystem? I think um, it's a really interesting time and place, particularly given the pandemic as well. And I see in real time the evolution of the role of the regulator as well, because it's got to be very challenging. I view it as almost a dichotomy where if the main roles of the regulator is obviously to maintain financial integrity and stability, but also to ensure fair competition, as well as protect the consumer. So on one hand, you need to foster and support innovation to have competition in the marketplace. But at the other hand, through supervision and compliance, you need to protect the consumer against themselves. So they got to play both roles. And there was one particular quote, which was really a shout out to regulators from a banking exec. Uh, I think they said regulators have moved from just policing to also acting as an enabler to digital transformation. However, I still think there's a balance and there's both sides. You'd mentioned, you know, I would quote uh, Deputy Governor from the PBOC, um, Deputy Governor uh, Pong Gongsheng. He had written a small white paper that was released, and it was really on the back of the Ant Financial um, situation. He, he made the statement, same business, same rules, which is really a point of view around, should we be regulating entities or the actual activities? And that had substantial ripples through um, global uh, regulators. Yeah, and we've seen real um, activity in this space over the last, uh, last year. Uh, you know, activity-based, same activity, same risk, same regulation had almost become a mantra over the past couple of years as, ah, this is the right solution to deal with new entrants uh, and new players in the marketplace. And I think over the last uh, three months, we've really seen sort of a shift back as, uh, as folks like Augustin Karstens, the general, uh, the head of the Bank for International Settlements, 
and Fernando Rostoy and others have looked at the regulatory landscape, have looked at these hyperscale technology platform companies and said, wait a minute, this might be a little different. You know, entity-based uh, focus might need to be a part of the mix here as well. And I think that as we think about these ecosystem partners and the fact that they're not just a technology vendor anymore, they might be a you know, key partner for transforming the, the operations of a bank through their cloud service provider status, but then they might also be a competitor uh, for different parts of the value chain on their front-end consumer services. And so that much more complicated mix of these different unprecedented type of uh, partners in the ecosystem is something regulators really are. I think, working to um, try and wrap their hands around. And that brings in, I think, our, the next theme that we really wanted to, to talk about from the report, and that's blurring of traditional sectoral boundaries and what that means for regulation and for the entity. And uh, Michael, you started uh, talking about that, but um, some additional thoughts on, on what these blurring lines look like um, from our report and from your time in the industry. Yeah, I think if we build off of that whole discussion theme of entity versus activity, we're seeing non-financial services institutions entering the airspace of financial uh, institutions. So look no further than telco getting their banking license. Retailers are obviously sneaking into the payment space. You have what I would say tech fins entering this space all without banking licenses, right? And there's use cases where automotive companies such as Tesla, because they have billions of miles of driver data, they're actually in a better position to provide automotive insurance based on hyper-personalization versus the traditional risk model of just risk pooling. So you have all these different entrants coming in. So it's not only the blurring of industry lines, but it's the blurring of the activity versus entity getting into the financial services space. And then also you couple that with the movement of banking as a service, embedded finance is going to be more and more prominent. So you actually don't go to an entity to do anything. It's wherever the consumer is going to be. And again, rolling back to one of our first conversations, the core building block or one of the many core building blocks is cloud. So these cloud service providers have so much data right? And information that weaves all these moving parts. And again, all these topics aren't mutually exclusive because then you quickly get into the ecosystem conversation. So that blurring is not just on sectorial boundaries, but they're also industry boundaries. And we haven't even begun really thinking about or talking about, or I haven't heard like financial services regulators with telco regulators, with healthcare regulators. And I see the traditional value chain to value web conversations. And all these big techs are right in the center, if not the foundation of this. And um, I do recall a quote in one of our workshops that the individual says, big tech have tons of data. These companies are the biggest nightmares for regulators like us right now. Yeah, and on that point of data, you know, that's, I think, another theme that had really come through in many of the different sections of our report, not just dealing with a much more complicated ecosystem, but also the importance and the rise of the role of data in the financial services ecosystem and, and also um, the overall economy. And when we look at the cross-border framework for the flow of data and dealing with the digital economy, I think we really see 
a lack of a modern rule book. You know, I know Ravi Menon at uh, the IF annual meeting in October pointed out that there was a great rule book in Bretton Woods for the physical economy, but that the digital economy really hasn't set that type of easy rule book yet. And so it's rested on a few bilateral trade agreements and some other sectors to really think about data holistically so that it's not locked up in countries that you don't have uh, bad impulses to try and localize data and that instead we find ways to make sure that it can flow with permission and trust across borders. And Michael, some, some thoughts on that? Yeah, I recall one of the workshops or conversations that we had with uh, Southeast Asia regulators and as well as cloud service providers. And they were making comments where there were examples where regulators were going right to the cloud service providers asking questions like, where is the data actually located in terms of data residency and data jurisdiction? Where, what CPU or server is that application actually running on? And those questions alone means that they didn't understand the whole concept of cloud computing. And I think more collaboration with regulators and CSPs and the actual financial services institutions needs to increase to better understand this whole new way of compute. And, you know, after those type of discussions, we kind of coined the, the term, there's a weather forecast that it's going to be cloudy with a chance of regulations. <laughs> and getting those regulations right, I think, is a, is a key message um, from our report that there needs to be so much more engagement uh, and direct understanding of the model, what's trying to be achieved, making sure that uh, we upskill and then connect the right people on both sides of the industry. And Malte, I was wondering if you had some some thoughts you could add on these themes that we heard and, and we're making in the report. Yeah, I, th I think the one thing I wanted to mention is just around, you know, in the context of the, uh, the blurring boundaries of industries and then also the cross-border context we have just been talking about, um, even at the local level, right, we, we heard a, there's a great quote from Benedict Evans who, who um, you know, made, it, made it quite around that, um, regulators tell companies to do X in the morning, but then in the afternoon, the privacy regulator comes in and tells them not to. But even at the local level, there is sometimes not a clarity of who actually, you know, if we're talking about interoperability, that doesn't actually exist at the local level. But then if we take that to the, um, to the international level, I, I think the complexity is increasing even further. And some of the questions that have come up um, were around, okay, what, what happens if, you know, data is not stored in a country, but you know, I'm a, I'm a global bank and, and a local regulator wants to get access to uh, some of the data. Like who actually governs that? And how do I make sure that I don't follow one regulation, but then actually in doing so, you know, I'm conflicted uh, with, with another regulation from another country. And Malti, if I just expand on that, not to leave out our European friends, think about, you know, the, the balance between GDPR, where you're generally trying to protect consumer or customer data but at the same time, they're rolling out open banking, which is really around, although you need customer consent, that you want to deliberately share data. So that's a great example of, you know, in the morning, you got to do X, but in the afternoon, you need to comply to Y. And I think that's a great way for us to, to wrap up here that we, you know, in the report and in the findings that we've shared in a much more detailed way, and we'll hope that uh, the listeners will check out the report as well. But we've shared the building blocks and the technologies that are really driving digital transformation forward, what that means for changing models of partnerships and uh, operations and roles and responsibilities in the ecosystem, and what we think really needs to happen between the public sector 
and the financial services industry, technology industry, and others as, again, these lines blur. Technology enables amazing new solutions and transformation, um, but that a lot of the possibilities uh, might be held back if we don't get the right model for smart, engaged regulation, thinking about these new models. So thank you very much, Malte and Michael. It's been um, great to talk through the details of the report and look forward to chatting soon. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Conan, great discussion you've had there with Michael and Malty, and our thanks to both of them. A couple of great points there about the blurring of sectoral boundaries and the cross-border complexities. It reminds me of a comment often made by our IIF Steering Committee on Digital Finance co-chair, Carlos Torres Villa of BBVA. He's often made the point that we need consistency and connectivity both across borders and across sectors. Absolutely. So as we, as you heard in the conversation about the report, it's an increasingly complex ecosystem. We have new partners, we have intertwined roles, you have partners of different scales and scopes. And with cloud computing and all of the other uh, issues that we talked through in the report, I think getting that data and getting data to flow across the entire ecosystem is absolutely essential. And so I think that that issue of how do you have uh, permissioned data appropriately governed uh, working within frameworks across the entire economy so it doesn't get locked up in a single entity or a single country is really essential moving forward. I'm glad you mentioned cloud there, Conan, and that also gives me a good prompt in that I, I mentioned at the introduction that I wanted to touch on some of the attitudes and impressions about cloud adoption that emerged from our, our focus group discussions. And it was striking when we, we had a group of financial institutions together. One of the key messages we heard was that, that cloud is really critical, that it's vital for supporting future business models, that it's about having the capabilities necessary to be able to keep pace with customer expectations and how those have evolved, particularly over the last year. But at the same time, some of the difficulties they've faced from a regulatory perspective, that they've run into added hurdles in the implementation process, that there's inconsistencies between nations in terms of, of requirements, and that's obviously a, an additional enduring issue that needs more attention of its own. But this broad theme of, of regulators making the, the cloud adoption process difficult. And then concurrently, we held a number of focus groups with, with regulators. And the story we heard there was that they really want the banks to move to cloud and to do more with cloud and to do it faster. And that they really recognize the strategic importance that it's necessary for the banks they supervise to have a, a sense of ongoing viability about their business model. But conversely, that they were concerned that the banks were dragging their feet, uh, that the implementation process of moving to cloud is often a, a difficult challenge, and that the average CTO perhaps has a tenure of two years and that it's easier for them to kick that off into the distance for their successor to have to worry about whilst using the, the regulator as an excuse or a scapegoat for not proceeding. And it was really interesting, I thought, and really stark for us hearing these differing perspectives out of our focus groups, and, and we worked to try and reconcile those. And I think we got to the sense we need to remember, I think that the, uh, we need to remember that the, the regulators we were speaking to were generally the senior strategically focused ones, the head of the agency or the, the head of the innovation function within the, the regulatory agency. And these were people that could see the, the bigger strategic picture. Whereas perhaps the person three rungs down the ladder, the examiner facing into the bank that the, that the bank is dealing with, you know, perhaps is not on the same page of that longer term strategic focus and perhaps a little more affected by historical mindsets and that there's a, a knowledge gap. And I say that not at all wanting to be critical of the regulators, because I actually think the same is often true within a lot of the banks. And that we see that uh, a number of the C-suite leaders, the chief risk officer, the recognition that's emerged that the business risk of not moving to cloud is greater than the operational risk of making the, the transition. 
but perhaps some of those within the bank, some of those involved in legal or procurement risk management, or perhaps in some of the implementation activities in a hands-on way, perhaps haven't had the same exposure to the strategic vision. So I kind of drew from this that we've got a shared problem of this knowledge gap between, or the, the knowledge disconnect in some ways, perhaps between the, the strategic forward-looking and the operational that's rooted a little bit more in, in historical experience. And, and that this is a piece that we collectively, the industry, the cloud service provider partners and, uh, and the regulatory community collectively need to work on. Um, Conan, could I invite your, your thoughts on that? I think working together, um, working through these issues together, sharing um, perspectives and helping to move each other along the knowledge curve on all of these new uh, building blocks for digital transformation is uh, one of the key messages that we've got going forward and certainly work that the IF will continue to be involved in and, and drive forward in, in our work. Well, thanks, Conan. And thanks again to Michael and Malti and also to our other colleagues on the IIF Deloitte project team, uh, Puneet Kakar, Andrew Jeffs, and Disha Anandpara at Deloitte, and our IIF colleague, Dennis Ferenzi. Looking ahead on FRT, we've got a few more upcoming guests that I want to highlight. Uh, firstly, our colleague, Natalia Bailey, is going to be speaking with the Bank of England on their recent report on AI during COVID. Natalia and I will also be speaking with Shamit Kundu, the former Chief Data Officer at Standard Chartered about some of the insights of what he's seeing across the industry in machine learning from his new position as Chief Strategy Officer at Truera. Uh, Shamik is also on the Bank of England's advisory group for AI. Uh, switching to digital identity, I'm going to be speaking with Jessica Bostrom and Katinka Yusi Bruberg of VIPS in Norway on the leading bank ID solution. And I'm going to catch up with Steve Suarez, Global Head of Innovation, Finance and Risk at HSBC. Steve and I co-presented on innovation to the Bail Committee's Supervision and Implementation Group about three years ago, and he's going to tell us about the innovation journey at HSBC and the program that he's mobilised together with Stanford University. So stay safe and please join us again for those upcoming episodes. I'm Brad Carr. Thanks for listening on FRT.